Today is a unique day, and it's far bigger than we think, because there are many different kinds of mothers, and all are being honored today. For the mother who's chosen to stay at home while her children are little, may your patience be great and your influence even greater. For the single mom who never planned on doing this alone, may you be consistently strengthened by your Heavenly Father, and may you hear His voice singing over you. For the mother who strives to balance work outside the home with love inside the home, may you be given energy, validation, and hope as you make the leap from one world to another every day. For moms who had poor mothers themselves, but who now refuse to let that pattern repeat itself. May the godly legacy you've started be carried on for generations to come. For mothers with grown adult children, may today be filled with laughter and joy, and may you experience deep satisfaction and fulfillment. For women who have no biological children of their own, but who mother younger women as mentors, May you understand your role as a calling from God and as a transformation of their hearts. Today is a unique day, so for all the mothers we mentioned and even those we didn't, be blessed, be honored, be filled with joy. You are making the world a better place because you're filling it with a love that only a mom can give. Well, happy Mother's Day. Thank you. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus uh, or on the internet or uh, one of the venues here at the Long Point campus. We're uh, glad that you have chosen uh, to join us. I'm always just a little bit intimidated, to be honest with you, about Mother's Day weekend. now, there's, it's not a biblical holiday. It doesn't follow a church calendar. But you know what's interesting as I study, and I'll tell you a little bit about where I've been uh, this week, but as, as you study how God works among people, uh, God considers culture. Uh, when God impacts a culture, uh, he doesn't speak a foreign language. He speaks the language of the culture. And Mother's Day is a big part of our culture. I'm grateful that it is, grateful that we honor uh, mothers, but I always feel a little bit intimidated because a I've never been a mother, obviously, and there you guys know so much more than I do about how big the job is, about how to do it well. Uh, so I kind of have to rely on the fact that um, I had a great mom, and I miss her every Mother's Day. I'll probably shed a few tears over that. I always do. I uh, went to be with the Lord a few years ago, and, and I'm married to, I think, the greatest mom. She's here with us in this service uh, that I could imagine, and uh, so I kind of watch her and then try to uh, see how that works out through Scripture and, and do my best to just kind of relay a little bit of it. So is that okay? So can, ladies, can you cut me some slack today as I uh, kind of talk to you about um, uh, mothers? I just got back, literally just got back uh, from Israel, Uh, been there for the last 10 days after 30 hours of traveling uh, late last night, got in, 
And uh, people say, are you jet lagged? I don't know. I, I think I was there. I think I am here. But that's okay. It'll be all right. But it gives me... Uh, so you guys cut me some slack there too, all right? But uh, and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit as we go along because I want to share with you a lesson that I learned there that I think that applies uh, to mothers and, and a biblical lesson from a mother from that area. Uh, but let me ask you a question first before we kind of dive into what I want to talk about. Have you ever been at a place when you were just about to give up hope? Just about to like totally give up hope and then all of a sudden something happens that changes everything for you. You know, it may be uh, you had applied to get into school. I know one of my daughter-in-laws applied to get into medical school and, you know, and, and it didn't work the first time or the second time or whatever, and almost had given up hope. And then here comes the letter that says, you know, it's you, you're, you're okay, and everything kind of changed. I know I've, I've spoken to people in this church and I've spoken to uh, ladies down uh, through the years. I've, I've seen this several times where, you know, they had two kids that were almost the same age, but they weren't twins. And what happened? And uh, sometimes the answer was, well, we had given up hope on ever getting pregnant. You, you know that story. And so we decided we were going to adopt. And about the time the adoption went through, we got pregnant. And now we have two blessings and it's wonderful, you know. Uh, it, it can be all, all kinds of uh, situations. It, it can have to do with, with your marriage that you... You know, at, at one point we're at a, just a place of giving up hope and then something changed and made it all different. I, as, a, as a Cubs fan, uh, I've been at the, the, the point of hoping that they'd win the World Series, but it looks like again this year, we'll wait till next year, okay? Well, you know, what I want to do is I want to tell a story uh, in, in, in my life this week, and then I want to weave it into a, a biblical story about that happening. We went to Jerusalem, and I actually went to Israel, and I was uh, there with several of my uh, pastor friends uh, in the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, a church planning organization that we had formed. And we were there um, uh, on the dime of actually the Israeli government, uh, which was really an incredible thing. They paid for the trip and, you know, uh, led us around. And I, I think they wanted to kind of sow some goodwill so that maybe we might come back and bring some of you with us. And I'm going to do that one year from now. I'm going to do a trip. First hundred that sign up, we'll go for it. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. It just it was such an incredible, incredible experience. So uh, I, I can't even tell you what it was like to to walk where Jesus walked, to to, uh, to just just take time to say, God, speak to me, you know, in these same uh, areas, and and to kind of see the topography of the place and understand the stories just a little bit better. Something I've wanted to do all of my life and was able to do it uh, this past week. So, absolutely incredible trip. Came down to the last day. Saved some of the best stuff for last. And um, the guy that kind of went with us, he has a doctorate in biblical studies and. He loves to hike. It was kind of like Indiana Jones, you know, uh, with, with a Bible. And we, we hiked more than I have hiked uh, probably since I grew up in Colorado. But on the last day, uh, we were, it was about noon, and we were up on the Mount of Olives. And we were looking down over the city. I saw the Eastern Gate. And he said, Let, let's take a hike. Let's walk. And so we walked down a pretty steep hill. And we got part of the way down, and, and we came to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane had an incredible experience as we uh, saw 
just these old olive trees um, dating back 1,600 years. He said, these were not here when Jesus was, but their moms were, you know. Uh, and, and we shared communion together and had a small time of worship. It was just an incredible, incredible experience. And then we continued our hike and we went into the city of Jerusalem and we found uh, what was the Pool of Bethesda uh, where uh, people went to be healed and Jesus has a story that goes on there. And just outside of the Pool of Bethesda, the ruins that are there, there, there is a Byzantine church. In other words, a church from about the, between the 4th and 6th century and is really the only church in Jerusalem that has existed or that looks kind of like it did back then because when the Muslims came in, they kind of took things over and destroyed some of the churches and what have you uh, in seven or 800 uh, AD. But this church somehow remained. It was full of junk and uh, became a storage place. And then and now it's cleaned out. It's beautiful. So we went inside of the church and it was the, the acoustics and all that. Suddenly, just spontaneously, someone started to sing and led us in worship. And it was so beautiful that I got my camera out and began to record it. And so this is not professional. This is just Greg, but I wanted you to experience a little bit of what we experienced in that moment. So if you guys could kind of roll that, um, you can kind of hear us singing together. that beautiful we just sat we sang and we worshiped then we got up from there and we walked a few um, yards actually maybe a half mile further and we came to the place where most people believe that jesus was crucified and then we went into the church of the sepulcher and 
the original tomb is not there. The, the, uh, uh, it, it, over the years, it's been destroyed. But off to the side, there is another tomb that is a first century tomb. And I got in there and I looked inside and, and uh, just thought about the fact that it is empty, that he has risen, and it just was fresh and it was new. And we worshiped around that. And, uh, and we kind of ended our, our time uh, with seeing the empty tomb. By this time, we had, I mean, it was night and day, night and day, night. We were exhausted. It was hot. And so Chris Hodges uh, from Church of the Highlands, uh, one of my friends, um, said, let's go. Let's go back to the hotel. Everybody was going to go, but we wanted to go quickly. And so, and, 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 and so we went. And we went through the narrow streets. And if you've never been to Jerusalem, I'm sure it makes sense, but it didn't make sense to me. I mean, it's like a maze and you go everywhere and Chris is leading. And finally, Chris says, would you mind if I stop and get a, a drink? He said, I'll buy you a Diet Coke. And I said, well, sure, let's do it. And so we went in and he fumbled slowly with his wallet. You know how that is. And so I ended up buying his drink and my drink. And I was kind of making fun of him and making small talk and just kind of joking around with the the guy that that owned the little uh, shop there. And then we made our way back to the hotel another half mile, three quarters of a mile away. By the time we got there, we, we, we had maybe just a few minutes to get a shower, have something to eat and uh, get on the plane. And so I began to think paying for my, uh, my internet bill there at, at the hotel. And I reached for my wallet and it wasn't there. And this wonderful trip, and all of a sudden it dawns on me, I have a problem. Where's my wallet? Where did I leave it? What did I do? You can imagine the stuff that goes, goes through your head. And so finally I thought, well, it must have been at that shop. I'm going to go find that shop. And I quickly began to, to go back toward uh, the old town of Jerusalem. And I got about uh, a quarter of the way there. And, and two of my friends saw me and they said, where are you going? I explained to them and they had their wives with them. We only had a few minutes. They said, well, we'll drop everything and we'll come. And I said, don't do that. You go do what you need to do. No, we'll come with you. And so my friends came with me and we looked for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and nothing looked the same. I, I had no idea where the shop was. And so finally I got at the end of it. And I said, guys, uh, we're done. We got to go. This isn't going to work. Um, what I need to do is I need to find a phone because my wallet had my phone with it. I said, I need to find a phone so that I can call back home and we'll begin to cancel the credit cards. I had visions of people running up stuff on credit cards and what have you. And what a mess that is. And so Randy Bazette, who was with me, pulled his phone out. He started to hand me the phone. I looked over to grab it and I saw the shop right behind his shoulder. I went into the shop. The proprietor of the shop was a Palestinian. And he, uh, he and I had been joking before. And he said, I knew you would come back. He opened his cash register and there was my wallet. Now, I've got to tell you, we rejoiced. I gave him some money. He wasn't asking for any, but I gave him. Then we looked for a fatted calf to have a party with, you know. <laughs> the closest thing I could come to it was a coffee shop on the way home that had incredible chocolate mochas. I can't even tell you how good they were. And so I treated my two uh, friends to, to, uh, to, to, the, uh, to, to the chocolate. And as I, as I was walking back to the hotel, it reminded me of the story of Hagar in the Old Testament. Because just the day before, we had been down in the desert where Abraham and 
and uh, Sarah and Isaac and their whole story. But Hagar's story is found in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 21. And let me just tell it a little bit, tell you why it reminded me of that. And then I want to make application for just a few minutes to all of us, especially the mothers who are here. If you remember the story, Abraham is leaving Egypt. He's been promised the Uh, a a land, a a place to go. And he's also promised by God at 75 years old that he would have a child, not just a child, but that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand. And can I tell you, there's a lot of sand in that desert. As numerous as the sand and the stars that he could see at night at 75 years old. Ten years later, absolutely nothing has happened. And so Sarah, his wife, decides to help God out. How do you know that that's always a problem when you decide to help God out? So Sarah gets an idea and she offers Abraham, her servant, um, Hagar, to sleep with her. And so that if Hagar became pregnant, actually uh, the child in the customs of the day uh, would be not only hers, but would also be a descendant of Abraham through Sarah. And a bad idea, really a bad idea. A lot lot of people have asked me over the years, why did God allow multiple marriages at at the same time uh, in biblical times? And I don't know the total answer to that, but I do know this. Every time you run it down, it never ends well. It's not a good idea. And so Abraham sleeps with Hagar. She becomes pregnant. Now she gets an attitude. And I don't know what she says to Sarah, but maybe she says, hey, look how I'm looking. And, you know, you're not pregnant and I am. At some point, Sarah gets totally fed up with it. And what does she do? She blames her husband, Abraham. Wasn't his idea. It was her idea. But we all know kind of how that works. And Abraham does what any good husband does at the time. He says, y'all figure that out. Okay, I don't know what to do. I'm not going to get in the middle of it. And so Sarah begins to abuse Hagar and ultimately runs her off. And in Genesis chapter 16, for the first of two times, she finds herself alone in the desert, pregnant and at the point of giving up. And just at that moment, an angel shows up. And many that study this passage believe that that angel was the pre-incarnate Christ. That Jesus himself saw her situation, had compassion on her, and came as an emissary of God the Father, and he begins to talk to her. And he says, this is what's going on with you. The son that you have is going to be blessed. You're going to have a son, and you need to call him Ishmael. The word Ishmael means God hears. God has heard your cry. He's going to bless your son. I'm going to give you more descendants than you can count. Now, Ishmael is going to be a little different. In fact, he's going to be like a wild donkey. He's going to be one that's going to have a hard time getting along with all of his brothers and the people around him. I'm not even going to go into the modern day uh, fulfillment of that particular uh, prophecy. But he says this to her. He says, I don't want you to give up. What I want you to do is I want you to go back and live with Sarah and I want you to adjust your attitude. I want you to go and I want you to submit to your authority because I am going to bless you through that family. And as a result of that meeting with God, Hagar calls God from then on the God who sees me. Her son is named Ishmael, the God who hears 
And she refers to God as the one who sees me. God saw me at the point that I wanted to die, that I wanted to give up, and he intervened. The second time Hagar feels helpless and alone is in Genesis chapter 21. This time it's several years later, and her son, or or, uh, Isaac, has been born to Abraham and Sarah, and Isaac is the chosen one. And Isaac is now having his second birthday party, his two-year-old birthday party, which is a trip, by the way. I celeb- I, 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 having celebrated several of those already, I won't even get into that. We don't have time. But Ishmael, by this point, is 16 years old, and he does something really stupid. How many of you ever did something really stupid at 16 years old? Well, that's what Ishmael does. He does something really, really stupid. He begins to mock and make fun of Isaac. Sarah watches it, gets irritated, and says to Abraham, we've got to get rid of them. Abraham is heartbroken because he spent 16 years with Ishmael at this point. Ishmael is his son. But God comes to him and says, it's okay. I'm going to bless him. Do as your wife says. And so Abraham loads them up with food and sends them off. And in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 14, here's here's what it says about that situation. It says, Abraham sent her away with their son. And she walked out into the wilderness of Beersheba, a desolate, hot, lonely place. And it says that she wandered aimlessly. When the water was gone, she left the boy in the shade of the bush. And then she went and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. And said, I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. She's hopeless. What do I do now? Well, I'm going to leave the story right there. And I want to tell you three lessons that I learned from my last day in Israel and lessons that I learned from Hagar and her relationship and how God uh, dealt with her. And hopefully it will be three lessons for every lady, especially mothers, Uh, who are here today. And here's lesson number one. Be nice to everybody because you never know when you're going to need their help. Be nice to everybody because you never know when you're going to need their help. Would you agree some people are easier to be nice to than others? Do you agree with that? Here's what I learned about Israel, especially Jerusalem. Jerusalem has four quarters. Now, the quarters are not equal, but it's, it's divided up into four quarters. Uh, One quarter is the Christian quarter. One quarter is the Arminian quarter, which are also Christians, but they don't get along with the other Christians. One quarter is the Jewish quarter. And then the largest quarter is the Muslim quarter. Now, uh, we were in Israel uh, uh, actually during the time that uh, the American government uh, disposed of uh, Osama bin Laden, which made an interesting day, uh, to, to say the least. Uh, Some were very happy about it, others not so much. And uh, as I went through the various quarters of Israel, I felt very comfortable in the Armenian and Christian quarters because they talked my language. I I learned to absolutely love the Jewish quarter, and it had some incredible uh, conversations uh, with some Orthodox Jews, and came to find out that many of them believe very strongly in the teaching of Jesus. You see, uh, the, the problem for Christianity among the Orthodox Jews is not Jesus, it's the Christian church. And some of the things that we have done down through the years and some of our attitudes now, and I would love to be a part of changing that.
But I felt a, a brotherhood. The Muslim quarter was a little bit uh, more, more difficult. Uh, in fact, we were sitting on the steps of the, uh, of the temple and we were just having a worship time uh, together and we were doing a teaching there. And all of a sudden we heard uh, out of the loudspeakers the Muslim call to prayer. And one of, one of the guys that I was with uh, just kind of muttered, you know, wouldn't you know it, Satan would just mess up this moment in time. And that's kind of how we felt from time to time because here was a group of people who didn't particularly like us and we felt very uncomfortable with. And it was in that moment that I felt like I had a prophetic word for the group and I said, guys, let me just say this. When Jesus said that we're to love those who persecute us, if he was to be among us today, I believe he would say those are the ones that we're... It's easy to love the people that are like us. But you know what? Uh, God calls us to go beyond that. And oftentimes there are reasons for that. But it's hard sometimes. In fact, when we were in Nazareth, I'll show you a billboard that we saw right next to the church that uh, is is located uh, where they believe that the family home of Jesus was so many, many Christian tourists. And the billboard says, and whoever seeks a religion other than Islam, it will never be accepted of him. And in the hereafter, he will be one of the losers. And so it was kind of hard to be nice. But you know what? In that moment when I lost my wallet, the shopkeeper that found my wallet was not Christian. He was not a Jew. He was not Arminian. He was a Muslim. He was a Palestinian. And it was the day after bin Laden had hit the news. But he helped me. And and I think part of it was because we, we made a friend. See, Hagar needed help, but she'd been rude to Sarah. And so the very person who could have helped her no longer was a possibility. And so I thought about that, and I thought, moms, who do you have a hard time loving and being nice to? Well, it could be a short list or a long list. It might include, you know, maybe your child's teacher who you don't feel, you know, uh, uh, is as good to your child as you think that they should, and none, none ever are. But there are times that we have teachers that are more difficult, and maybe you have a hard time loving your child's teacher. Or maybe it's your mother-in-law. I was blessed to have a great mother-in-law, but sometimes that can be a difficult relationship. Or maybe it's your husband's ex who you feel like makes life miserable for you. Who do you have a hard time loving? Be nice to everyone because you never know when you'll need their help. Here's the second principle. When you're having a challenging day, or maybe it's a challenging season for you, you could really use a friend. Hagar was in the desert alone in her biggest time of need. And I thought, you know what? How lonely that must have been. I was in Jerusalem with a bunch of my closest friends and and I'm thinking about this poor single mother out in a desert and didn't have a friend. Charles Spurgeon once said, friendship is one of the sweetest joys of life. Many might have failed beneath the bitterness of their trial had they not found a friend. See, no one is in a better place to be a friend than a mom. I asked uh, a member of the Israeli government as they were telling us about all of the things that happened in Israel in the last few years and the development that's gone on and some of the incredible success. And and I I asked him, I said, over dinner, I said, "What, what is the biggest asset that you feel like you have as an Israeli here in Israel? And he looked at me and he said, here it is. He said, we all have Jewish moms. 
I said, really? Yeah. You know the difference between a Gentile mom and a Jewish mom? Little Johnny comes home with bad grades from school and a Gentile mom gets all over Johnny. Johnny, you've got to study more. Johnny, you've got to do a better job. You've got to make better grades. You'll never get into the right school. Little Jewish, you know, Isaac comes home to his Jewish mom and he brings home bad grades and Jewish mom looks at him and says, what's the matter? Don't they know how to train up a genius in that school? You know? <laughs> I asked my kids, their mother doesn't even know that she's in this service. But before I left, I asked my kids to reflect on the value of their mother. And if you would indulge us, we've never done this before, but I want, I want, I want you to hear what their response was. think of mom, I, uh, I definitely think prepared. She's uh, prepared in good times, bad times, uh, in storms of life, and uh, when things are, are calm, she's prepared. Um, now that we have three kids of our own, and mom uh, had four, we have three under three, it means even more to me how prepared she was uh, with us kids growing up, but now even with grandkids. I mean, nine grandkids, three and under, and she's, uh, she's amazing. I just so appreciate the fact that we can come over to Debbie's house and not have to worry about wanting for anything. She's always got her pantry stocked with snacks that the kids love. There's always abundant amounts of pack and plays for them to take naps in or go to sleep. She has always got extra changes of clothes, whether it's late at night and they need pajamas or if one of them has an accident. I just feel like she so exemplifies Philippians 2.4. It says, each of you should not look not only to your own needs, but to the needs of others. That's just been an incredible example for me. Obviously, Dad is the out front guy, the senior pastor, and Mom is behind the scenes. and. Um, I think at some point, I don't know when it happened, she figured out that that was her gift and she didn't have to be out front. Um, but being prepared was huge. Um, you know, behind every great sermon, um, behind a lot of what goes on at the church, behind the scenes, mom would never step up and say anything about it, but she has a lot to do with it. You know, it's the late night's conversation with, with dad or us about, um, you know, tweaking a sermon or opening or closing or whatever it might be. Um, so uh, that aspect of preparedness has been huge. A godly woman speaks with wisdom. Well, when I think of that scripture in my mom, I think of um, several instances in my life where she was able to speak wise things over me. When I was in nursing school and wanted to quit every other day, she was the one who encouraged me to keep going. 
and to just take it one day at a time. And then when I was pregnant the second time and very afraid because I did not want to be pregnant the second time, she, um, she was very encouraging and just told me that it's a blessing, that um, I just needed to, again, take it one day at a time and don't worry about when they're both one and screaming at the same time. Well, Proverbs 31, 27 says that a godly woman watches over the affairs of her household. When I first became interested in Jessica, um, honestly, the first emotion that I was really feeling was fear. Uh, one, because um, I knew that whatever the next girl that I would that I would date or court would probably become my wife and this girl just happened to be my boss's daughter and uh, so I was I was afraid that uh, if I screwed this up then my career would totally be over and so I sought a lot of wise counsel on courting Jessica and uh, finding out actually from very wise people that it wasn't Greg that I should be afraid of but it, it was Debbie and that Debbie protected her girls. Uh, they called her the mother hen, and she always watches over her girls, and they told me that if, if I could get Debbie to like me, then I was in the family, and I had nothing to worry about, that uh, Greg was actually a softy, and as long as I was in good graces with, with Debbie, then I would, uh, I would be accepted into the family, and I would actually have a future, and I'm so glad that that worked out, and I love the relationship that uh, I have with Debbie as her son-in-law, and I get that same sense of protection from her as well. Come here, Emily. Can I see you? Emily, come over here. Emily, generous with her time and um, like I mean we got a book or like a couple months in advance to get a babysitter now because she just she's got you know she's babysitting every every couple of days I'm sure but um she she never complains she's always giving of her time and her, I mean resources obviously these kids are dressed to the T because mom buys them everything but um she is just she her heart I think is just so full and she just she knows nothing more than just to give, and the kids um, cling to her. Um, she is grandma of the year. She is um, fantastic. So she she's sacrificial and gives gives of everything she has. So yeah. Her generosity comes straight from her heart. Her fullness. It's in, it's com completely you know inside of her. It's everything she wants to do with herself, and and um, she does it wholeheartedly. And so. Her, her generosity comes straight from the heart. She, she's always been that way. I always remember even like her hand sewing things for us. And um, you know, she's, um, she loves to do things like that just to give out of, out of her heart. And so, yeah, it's always been that way. Can you show that to the, to, to the camera?
Proverbs 31 talks about, obviously, the Proverbs 31 woman. And one of the characteristics that stood out to me when I looked at it is that she's hardworking, uh, extremely hardworking. That's definitely my mom. In fact, some things that you, you may not know about my mom uh, in the Surratt household is, A, she does all of the yard work uh, and all of it. And that says a lot about her. It says a lot about her work ethic. It may say something about Greg as well, my dad. But um, Actually, I think I do all the yard work around our house too. Well, m most of it, I would say. But, <laughs> but again, that's a great example of why I love my mom, the, the example that she set for my wife to do that yard work but she does she she works hard in the yard uh, we have a huge family we have four siblings and all of us have multiple kids and so even hosting a dinner at our house which she does all the time takes a whole lot of work preparation uh, and typically like on Thanksgiving by the time we're sort of sitting down and slouching back into the couch to watch the football game either a she's just eating for the first time because she's been working so hard preparing it or she's already gone into starting the cleanup process. She's always working. The house is always clean. Um, she she just works really hard. She volunteers at Seacoast as if she didn't have enough going on. Um, she could have plenty of excuses why not to, but she's always serving in the children's ministry. Before we had kids, she was serving in the information center. And uh, So yeah, mom is, mom is extremely hardworking, and I think that's something that all of us appreciate about her and uh, have definitely picked up on over the years. I can definitely say that one thing about Debbie that I just so appreciate is that she is not just a mother-in-law to me, the cliche mother-in-law. She really is a, another mom for me, and she has done such a good job at um, just creating this family identity um, that it really, I mean, from the moment that we got engaged, I just immediately felt like I was one of her kids, and she just does such a good job at just loving on me, loving on my kids, and I just so appreciate that and so love that. I think uh, mom is the glue that really holds the family together. You know, we have such a tight family and we have such great relationships in our family, and as I just reflect back on why that is, it's because of my mom. Uh, it's because my mom fought for that, uh, she protected that, we grew up, I mean, our, our kind of growing up years were during some of the most explosive growth that Seacoast had, and uh, yet we still managed to have a very tight-knit family, and we just kind of knew that we do family, we do ministry, and we're going to do those things well, we're going to love those things, and so, yeah, mom is the glue. Mom is the, the sticky factor in our family that I think has helped to keep all of us tight, keep us grounded, and uh, keep us understanding what, what is important and what's not. When I think of you, I think of someone who's faithful with the little things, and I read about that in the Bible uh, in several different places, and um, to those that have been faithful with small things, God gives more, and um, that may not be a tangible thing, um, uh, and something that is uh, glamorous, uh, and I think that God kind of wired that uh, for you, and, and I think of you when I, when I think of that verse and um, so thank you for being our mom we love you and uh, we're so grateful for you um, I just would tell her that you know I love her and that I mean I don't think God could have put me in a better family with a better mom than my mom um, mainly because I 
am so sensitive and she just knows. She has a way about her. She knows how to deal with me. She knows how to um, calm my nerves and how to encourage me. And um, I just couldn't have asked for a better mom. And I'm so, I just feel so blessed that my kids get to grow up with her as a grandma. So mom, on this Mother's Day, uh, I just want to tell you how much I love you, how much I appreciate what you've done for us. Proverbs 31 says that uh, a godly woman, her children will stand and bless her. And we just want to bless you today. And thank you so much for all that you've done to pour into our lives, to pour into our wives' and husbands' lives, and to pour into our kids' lives. We love you. We appreciate and wish you a happy Mother's Day. Mom, um, you're my best friend. Um, you are the person I go to when I'm happy, when I'm sad, when I need someone to talk to. Um, I love you more than anything, and uh, thank you so much for being generous and sacrificial and being um, the most amazing mom that anybody could ever ask for. So, I love you. Thank you. Mm. Okay, uh, so you don't know some of the heartache behind some of those stories, and mom got us through. So let's review. Be nice to everybody. You never know when you'll need their help. When you're having a challenging day, you really could use a friend. Here's the third lesson I learned. About the time you're ready to give up hope, don't quit, because God has a breakthrough just around the corner. You know, Hagar, back to Hagar, she came into the desert the second time. She'd been kicked out of the house. They've run out of food. They've run out of water. And now she's distanced herself from the pain of her child because she can't take it. 16-year-old Ishmael is laying under a tree about a football field away from where she is. She's heartbroken beyond imagination. And in verse 17, it says, Then God heard the boy's cries. And the angel of God called to Hagar from the sky. Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy's cries from the place where you laid him. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. And then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well. She immediately filled her water container and gave the boy a drink, and God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness of Paran. God opened her eyes. In her moment of hopelessness, she was just this far from a breakthrough. You know, for most of the mothers here this weekend and at the campuses, Mother's Day is a wonderful time. It's a time to eat together with a family. It's a time of great memories. And most of us love to cel celebrate it. But I would be remiss, and I certainly would be ignorant, not to, to uh, acknowledge the fact that for some of you, you can relate to Hagar. You feel like you're isolated. You feel like you're in a desert of some kind. And you feel like God has forsaken and forgotten you. Maybe you wanted to have children. And that was the dream of your heart and you haven't been able to. Or maybe it was an adoption. And you've waited so long and so long. And there's so much red tape. And it seems as though it will never come to pass. Maybe you, like Sarah, hurried God's plan. 
and you found yourself in a mess and you feel guilty. Maybe you got pregnant before you got married or maybe you rushed into a a marriage that certainly wasn't the best and maybe it didn't work out or maybe you're in it now and you feel horrible because you feel like you're the one that's brought it on and you even feel bad for your children because of the choices that you've made. Or maybe it's your kids that have made difficult choices. Maybe it's like Ishmael at 16 years old who did something so bad that It forced him and his mother to leave the home. And maybe it's not that bad, but maybe you're just worried and you're concerned about your kids. Or maybe you feel like you're on your last bit of provision. Or maybe you feel like you should be more grateful for what you have and where you are. But you don't. See, I don't know what you feel. But I know this. God is faithful. God is faithful. Wherever you are, My prayer this weekend is that you don't give up. That God will open your eyes like he opened Hagar's eyes and you will see that provision is there. God listens. God sees. And God is the one who cares for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this wonderful time that we celebrate our families, we celebrate our mothers. God, we are grateful for that and we do celebrate. We say thank you. God, I hope that all of us will in some tangible way say thanks this weekend. But God, I also know that there are some who are here who relate so much to this single mom in a desert somewhere feeling isolated and separated from you. And God, I pray that this weekend that they would experience, that we together would experience the Abba Father, the loving God who listens, who cares, who is able to redeem regardless of the choices that we make. God, that you're able to take all things that happen to us that sometimes aren't our fault and you're able to bring them about good and your will in them. And God, I pray that you would bring comfort and you would bring encouragement. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.